Hello and welcome to the Out of Ink podcast with myself, B. Baranoska and Molly Lemon. This is the podcast where two anxious creatives talk openly and honestly about life as an artist. B, are you melting? Oh, it's so uncomfortably warm. <laughs> it was warm anyway, but to record the podcast, we both had to close our windows and turn off the fans. So it's like already it's been a few minutes and I just don't think I've ever been this warm. So sticky. <laughs> I've got a wet towel all over my legs to try and calm me down. <laughs> it's uh, it's quarter to eight in the evening as well, so it's not like we're recording this midday. No, we're just not used to this weather. I think we should be honest and say we're both in an odd mood this evening. Mm. Prepare for just... <laughs> I don't even know what you should prepare for. Sometimes you're in the mood to record a podcast and other times... You just want to sleep? Yeah, but the people call for the podcast and we've, we've got to give the people what they want. So, weird mood or not, we are here and we're going to talk about our education, episode eight. Yeah, we are here. We're going to do it. It will be fine. We'll get through it. We might have fainted by the end because <laughs> of the heat. Also, we have some, some slightly sad news. This is the last episode of season one. We didn't know we were doing a season one until we realised it was really unsustainable <laughs> of us to continuously make podcasts around of other work. But we're going to take a step away, regroup, rethink and come back with hopefully a bigger, better season for season two. Yes, we are going to be worth the wait when we return, hopefully in September. Yeah, possibly October or November. We don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But we will return. This is not the end of Out of Ink. This is just the start. So instead of going out on a bang, we're going out on a really quite sleepy and hot (laughs) episode. I am sick of your face. (laughs) (laughs) This is why we're having a... uh, This is why we're ending the podcast. Molly's Molly's had enough of me. Basically, what it boils down to is we've seen each other a hell of a lot in the past uh, month and a half, two months, and Molly, she's just had enough. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. I just can't do it anymore. Even though it's only over Zoom, I just had enough. (laughs) No, what I was going to say is we had a lovely weekend together in Devon. It was the most idyllic weekend, really. Bit of a dream. I just mourned the weekend when I got home on Sunday evening. Yeah, I know. It it was sad it was over. We basically had a really nice weekend in the sun of walks and wild swimming. And I thought, why can't every day be like this? And then I realised... We're not retired. Margot had her first ever swim. Molly took a video of it, and I've watched the video approximately 300 times. <laughs> <laughs> she was very cute. She was. I didn't think Whippets liked swimming, and she jumped from about... I swear it was almost a metre high from the bank into the water, <laughs> and that is higher than when I jumped in Croatia and had a panic attack, so she was braver than me. <laughs> I put it on Margot's Instagram, and so many people messaged me being like, I just don't understand. Whippets don't like swimming. What's going on? And I was like, what's going on is true love right there. She saw that me and Adam were in the water. She panicked that she she got FOMO, basically, that she wasn't involved. And so she got involved. And then she nearly died of hypothermia, but (laughs) at least she got involved. (laughs) Yeah, because she got out. And um, my parents' dog, Nelly, was being overly friendly with her and just being a bit growly. And uh, I think you shouted, put her in the water, she'll be safer. And then I realised Margot was was having 
not trouble breathing, but doing some odd breathing because she was so cold from there. And I said, I don't think she's safer in there. She's definitely better with her chances out here. <laughs> oh, poor little thing. Soggy little seal. B, do you want to introduce us to this week's anxiety scale? So Molly chose the theme for this week. Don't blame me. I was trying to think of something that wasn't food. Mm. Well, she chose household chores, which is controversial because when thinking about my anxiety scale, I wasn't really sure that you could call any household chores a delightful experience of a 10. (laughs) (laughs) But I'll I'll talk you through my scale for the day. Okay, so 10, not anxious at all, lovely day. It's not that lovely a day because I'm hoovering. But Mm. hoovering, I feel, is the least offensive of the chores. And maybe the easier of the chores as well. Yeah, well, it depends if you've got a corded hoover or not. It is corded. I'm not, I don't have a fancy robot one like you. I mean, we're not, I'm not made of money. (laughs) No, no, oh God. (laughs) Okay, we're going to have to dive into our hoovers because there are four of them. Molly calls me extra, but she's just divulged to us right here, right now, episode eight of the pod, that she has four hoovers. <laughs> Go on, are they are they different hoovers for different days, different occasions? You know, like you've got your rainy day hoover, your I'm going out <laughs> hoover. Talk us through them. Well, they're not. None of them are mine, and they were brought <laughs> behind my back. All of them, without consulting. It's like the recorded hoover which is good for for stubborn jobs. (laughs) There's the cordless hoover, which is good for your everyday use. There's the hoover that also (laughs) is a carpet cleaner, does both. And uh, there's the robot hoover that is the bane of my life. And all it does is drag my shoes around by their laces and get wedged (laughs) under tables, and I hate it. I'm going to take a pun here and say that Sam quite likes hoovering. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, honestly, I before Sam left the house, he just left for swimming. I ran downstairs and I said, our anxiety scale is household chores. And I wrote down exactly what he said when I said, what would be your least favourite chore? And he said, I quite enjoy all of them, to be honest. <laughs> oh, he's such a good little house husband. You should marry him. Oh, wait, you did. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think I did? <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Anyway, move on. What's your what's your least favourite? Okay, number one least favourite chore. Could have put so many here. Um, but I've put cleaning the bathroom. Mm. Life is too short to clean the bathroom. Oh, I don't know about that because it does need to be done. No, it does. But some people like are really picky and they clean it every day. And I think once a week is fine. Oh, I don't clean mine once a week. No, I just said that to look good on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> probably clean it once a month <laughs> I looked up how often I should do my household chores today it's been... <laughs> and I looked up how often I should do my household chores yeah. today and I was like really monthly I do that yearly <laughs> like almost to the thing oh my god I clean the house when we've got guests coming in. Same. And obviously, in COVID, no guests. Yes, I'm the same. It's been 18 months. I do just want to say that if you do know me and you are (laughs) due to come round to my house anytime soon, um, just don't look very closely at things like the skirting. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so hot. Ironically, I'm going to fan myself with the fan instructions. Okay, that's number one. And then... Oh, Molly's in recovery time. Hang on. 
Okay, carry on. And then today, I've rated myself at a four. Let's play a fun game. What household chore do you think I would rate? Oh, you've switched at a four. It. Well, last episode of the season got to shake things up a bit. Wow. Um, a four. Um, cleaning the fridge. No, I would have loved if you've got that right, but you didn't. So I've rated four as emptying out the food bin so like taking the bag out you know there's juices everywhere it's overflowing a bit sometimes it splits not a nice job Mm -mm. um i don't do it a lot because adam's also quite a good house husband and does most of the chores but sometimes it it gets left to me and don't enjoy it it's not nice so that's my anxiety scale how about you for number 10 my least anxious day ever is putting the washing away. This isn't doing the washing because I don't really like doing the washing because you've got to remember to actually get out the washing machine and then hang it up and then it takes ages to dry. It's not my favourite. That's a good one. Sometimes I like putting the washing away. Yeah, because I sit on my bed, I lay everything out in piles and I listen to a podcast Mm. and it's quite nice and I feel like I'm doing something helpful but I'm also having a nice time. Mm. You're jealous, aren't you now? You want to put the washing away. (laughs) I wouldn't go that far. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to be fair, if Sam listens to this, he'll be shocked because I never put the washing away and it's just in piles all along you, the bedroom. You will be putting it away now. I do it sometimes, but it's like monthly maybe. So then I don't put it away and then there's a whole, oh, your drawers are empty and then you get your clean washing out of the basket because there's nothing in the drawer. And after a few weeks of that, I might start putting it away. I've run out of pants at the moment and I know for a fact there's a laundry basket full of clean ones and I I can't be bothered to unpack that in this heat. So I've just kind of gone into, you know, I don't know if you have this. Do you have those store of pants that are like really uncomfortable? You never wear <laughs> yeah. them. <laughs> you hate them. I've moved on to those because I'm that lazy. I'd rather wear those <laughs> than get my actual clean ones out of the basket. Yeah, everyone has it. And with socks as well, I have, like, my new nice socks that I got for Christmas and then the ones at the bottom that are all a bit crispy and I've I've had for, like, eight years (laughs) with a hole in. I'm glad I'm not the only one who still hoards Mm. bad underwear. Um, and then for my, my least favourite day, number one, is the bins. So it's your number four. Mm. Well, it's just all the bins. And the reason is, every day feels like bin day. <laughs> Our bin day is today, actually. It just, every week, we're like, oh, it's bin day again. It was bin day yesterday. It just always feels like it's bin day, and it annoys me, and it smells. And then we have to take them out and bring them in. and it, So it, like, rides over to the next day. <laughs> So our bin day is a Monday. I would say that's worse because it intrudes on Sunday evenings. Sunday evenings are bad mm. enough. And then you're sitting down thinking, oh, it's Monday tomorrow. And then you remember, oh, God, do the bins. That's true. That's true. But we just need to appreciate the bin men right now because they have to do the bins every day of the week and just so many of them. Mm, thank you, bin men, you silent heroes. <laughs> They're not that silent. Sometimes it wakes me up. <laughs> That's fine. They come at like 6.40. It's really early. Hey, mine come at like 3pm. Oh, really? Mm. That's so weird. Yeah. Ooh, bin chat. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> right, I'll move on. Okay, so you've got to guess what I am on the anxiety scale. Okay. And I'm also a four. Okay. I'm going to go for making the bed. I don't make the bed. <laughs> 
But you've never made you've never made. The I bed. like get out and just leave the covers. No, 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 no. I mean, like after you, putting new sheets on the bed after it's been okay. Cleaned. But do you make the bed after? I bet you do. No, I don't. Do you make the bed every day? Does Adam? Adam makes it occasionally, not every day. But let's just come back to here. You do okay. change your bed sheets, don't you? Well, yeah, sometimes. <laughs> That's the chore <laughs> I meant. Changing the bed. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, I hate that. That would probably be lower than, than the washing up, which is what number four is. So I like it because I have bad hands. They hurt a lot and it, the warm water helps them. But I just dislike the actual washing up. I'd rather just put my hands in a hot bowl of water than have to do anything with them. Would you count putting stuff in a dishwasher as washing up? No, that's putting stuff in the dishwasher. <laughs> but the dishwasher then washes up. Yeah, but not everything can go in the dishwasher. I'm not a maniac. <laughs> just try it just just next time just try it i hate putting stuff in the dishwasher if sam started loading it before me because he does it wrong why does he do it wrong he puts the bowls in the wrong place and then i feel like it's harder to just add stuff to it i then have to just rearrange the whole thing and he feels the same with me and honestly we've had more arguments about the dishwasher than anything else i think this is a domestic argument that i should just stay out of Right, okay, so we've learned something in that anxiety scale and it's that we're both just absolute slobs and thank God we're not single. <laughs> okay, so this week we're going to be talking about art education and art school. Thank you so much for all your questions. There were so many questions, I didn't think there were going to be that many um, and we'll try and get through as many as possible. Before we start, we should say what we studied. So I went to the University of Bath Spa and I studied graphic communications. Molly, how about you? I feel like I'm in a, a formal interview. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I studied fine art at Winchester and I also did an art foundation beforehand in Totnes. I did not do an art foundation. You missed out on the best year of your life. Controversial. We might cover that. We will cover that in one of these questions. And also, can I just say, I mean, personally, I think I might sound a little bit ungrateful for my art education at points, but I know how grateful we are being able to study art in higher education. Right, let's begin. Question one. Do you think it's possible to be a successful artist without going to art school? Yes, but it's hard to comment on this as two artists who did go to art school, so it's hard to see the path that we might have taken had we not gone. We might have decided to do different things. I automatically thought, of course, of course you can be a successful artist without going to art school. And I I do think that because the things I use now as a full-time artist aren't things I learnt in art education most of the time. They're Mm. things I've picked up along the way and I think you can learn a lot just from other people and from trial and error. A lot of things that we learnt at uni weren't actually teaching you how to have a career in art necessarily. Yeah, and art school, as I'm sure we'll cover, isn't for everyone. So if you don't think it's for you, but you want to be a full-time creator, go for it. Mm. There's nothing wrong with being self-taught. Oh, that leads nicely into question two. Why is there a stigma slash snobbery around self-taught versus educated with a degree? Um, I don't... Is there? I'm not sure there is, but maybe maybe I'm wrong. What do you think? Do they just mean going around, waving around your 2-1 or whatever, being like, well, I've got a degree in this, so clearly I'm good at it. 
Is that what they mean? Versus, I don't have a degree, but I've taught myself and I'm just as good. But don't you think, like, I think, oh, it's way more impressive to be self-taught because it shows a a bit more um, ambition, maybe a bit more natural flair in what you're doing because you haven't been taught. Hard work as well because you're, you're not being given any teaching. You're doing it all yourself. Yeah. I don't think there's as much stigma as you'd think, well, at least we don't hold any. I know in some other subjects, people just expect you to have degrees. But as an artist, I'm not sure that's the case. But as I say, I could be completely wrong. I just, no one's ever asked to see my art degree. Not even going for a job interview. No one has asked. You're right. It is a little bit different for someone who says, I want to be a lawyer. And they can't be a lawyer unless they go to law school. Whereas if you say you want to be an artist, I'm sure there are loads of artists out there who had no formal education. That's the really nice thing about being an artist or a creative because you don't have to learn it formally and you can do it on the side, like in the evenings. It's accessible to everyone who wants to do it. And I think you've touched on this in a previous podcast, but you didn't do much wood engraving at uni, did you? So actually you're wood engraving technique was something that you learned after university yeah i know i didn't even know what wood engraving was at uni i thought it was the same as woodcut so there you go then and you are a wood engraver so arguably you, even though you had an art education you are sort of a self-taught artist question three why doesn't art school teach you about how to deal with the mental side of being creative i think this is a really interesting question again I'm, I think that's not just art school. I think that's maybe a lot of subjects they're teaching you the subject and not how to deal with a mental side of it. Do they mean like the mental health side or like... Yeah, I think they do. Dealing with art blocks and things no, like that. I, well, I interpreted it as the mental side, as in when you're not making many sales and it's hard on your mental health and, you know, you feel low self-confidence. Yeah, um, that was never mentioned at anywhere I learned. We were never taught about mental health. I don't even think it was taught at school, school. Like, prior no. to uni, I don't think I ever had any education on, en- on mental health at all. Yeah, that might be because we're old. It might be, might be taught now. I hope it is. I would like to think that they're now teaching mental health in schools because it is so important and it is, you know, there is a stigma around that. People don't talk about it and they're... So, yeah, it would have been helpful, but no, it wasn't something that was ever discussed. The other thing that I feel I didn't learn from going to art school or any of my education was actually how to run a business and really practical things like taxes and pricing your work. I remember one lecture about copyright, but beyond that, I don't remember much practical stuff in terms of setting you up to be an artist. I think maybe the reason behind that is because, obviously, when you go to art school... Well, I'm speaking for myself now because graphic communications was quite a broad course and it was lots of creative people who weren't really quite sure what they wanted to do. So I think it would have been really tricky talking about how to run a business because everyone was going off to do different things. Quite a lot of people wanted to be, like, in-house designers... Um, Mm. So it would have probably been too broad a subject to cover to a whole group of people. But I I do know what you're saying. It would have been helpful, but I just don't know how they would... I think maybe that would have to have been on a one-to-one, like maybe in, in third year. And they did... I do remember being asked what did I want to do like where did I see myself but it was more just asking me what I wanted than them saying these are your options can we help you with them yeah well I kind of disagree because I remember there was like at least a two-hour lecture on 
the uncanny and what uncanny meant. And I think I would have preferred to learn about my tax return. What do you mean, the uncanny? Quite. You obviously didn't have a lecture on the <laughs> uncanny, did you? I didn't do fine art, so I've missed out. Honestly, it took me about a fortnight to work out what it meant. But I know now, but it hasn't come up since. But I have had to do a tax return about four times. No, I do think taxes would have been good. But again, maybe they thought that, that if you wanted to know about taxes, you should have been doing accounting or maths. No, I know, because like... Uh, okay, with a fine art degree, I know most people don't go on to be full-time artists. From my year, maybe there's maybe there's three of us. I'm not sure because I haven't followed what everyone's doing. But that's quite a shocking. Well, there was like that's about ten percent, I think. So, is any is everyone else sort of working in a creative field, or a lot of people did yeah. they just do something else entirely? Yeah, like I think most people are working in a creative field, but. I just felt I kind of learnt lots about different things and nothing about how to be an artist and earn a living from my art, which is why mm. I guess when I left art school, I thought, well, it's not possible and became a picture framer and, and gave up all hope because I wasn't told it was possible. My equivalent of your taxes thing for me is that I remember having various different lessons um, where we were using programs in the adobe suite so photoshop InDesign, illustrator but i don't remember ever actually being taught really in depth how to use photoshop InDesign, illustrator i was taught how to use it for the certain tasks we've been set in these lessons yeah. but there are really specific things like make an app but i don't want to do app development ever again or make an animation or I, we never ever used illustrator and illustrator i taught myself how to use that because it's such a powerful program but i would have liked some formal teaching on that and i do think that's something that was missed for me yeah i think you're right there's a lot of people on a course and everyone is interested in different things so it's hard to cover it all but i think more practical how to survive in the outside world how to make a living from a degree that's putting you over £50,000 in debt might be a, <laughs> might be a helpful, <laughs> helpful lesson. Yeah, I think maybe in third year they should just sit you down and go, do you want to do this as a job? And if you do, mm. here's the realities of what it's going to entail, what you're going to have to do, a brief lesson on taxes, etc, etc. If I'm honest, I didn't really think I would be able to make a career as, as a self-employed artist. Yeah, that's what we were taught and that's what I went away feeling. Like, I I loved making artwork, but I thought, oh, that's going to be too hard. I'll be a picture framer. But then if they if they encouraged everyone and were like, go do it, most people wouldn't make it because it's really hard. And if everyone was encouraged to do it, there'd be so many people. So every year the Telegraph publishes, like, this list of the lowest paid jobs and every single year, without <laughs> fail, artist is number one. <laughs> no wonder they're not pushing that they were looking after us they were saying don't do that <laughs> you of course might be called fine art but you need to go into something else there's no hope for you here. also something that strikes me now that might not have back then is that all of my teachers and tutors at university right they were practicing artists or graphic designers but they were also lecturers so they weren't making a full-time living from whatever art practice they did mm. they were having to make that up by doing the lecturing or they might have got a lot of fulfillment from the lecturing maybe but it was a, it was a real full-time job it's not like you could be mm. sustaining a full-time art business yeah 
So it to conclude, for anyone's listening from our universities, um, you should teach us how to do our taxes because <laughs> we're still confused and I've had to get an accountant. QuickBooks. QuickBooks is your friend. Isn't that mad though? Isn't that a bit mad? That um, I spent, well, I think I'm now like £55,000 in debt from art school, but I'm now having to pay on top of that an extra two, £300 a year for an accountant because I didn't learn how to do my taxes at art school. When you put it like that, that's quite bad. It's really bad value for money. I always forget how in debt I am because the money, you, you don't really see it come or go. I just get a statement from student finance every now and then being like, oh, you've paid off this much and we've charged you this much interest. And usually it just counteracts each other. And I'm like, good, we'll just carry on. Well, I have never paid off any of my student debt. So it's what? just gone up and up and up. How have you not paid off any of it? I wasn't earning enough until last year and I haven't had to pay anything till January. Wow. And that's why mine's so high. When I was a um, designer for a company, obviously the, the money just came straight out of my wages. That was really something you take for granted when you work for an employer and they sort <laughs> out all your taxes and student loan. That's great. I know. I know. You just don't appreciate it, do you? So I did pay some off, but I just, I don't know how much. Yeah, well, it's never as much as the interest. No, it's really... Don't they just scrap it after a certain amount of years? If you haven't paid it, they're just like, it's too late for you, we let you off. That was my initial plan, and then I realised maybe I couldn't survive on that much money until I was (laughs) (laughs) 40-something. It's a really bad life plan, just being so stubborn about paying off your student debt that you just don't earn anything for 28 years or whatever it is. Hey, we were lucky because I think we were the last year that went to uni before they, like, doubled the fees the year after us. Uh, no, they tripled the fees and I was the one that paid. Did you go, what year did you go to uni? Oh yeah, because you didn't do Art Foundation. So I stayed and did Art Foundation for free and then ended up paying triple what you paid. I can't believe this. I'm really angry with you now. (laughs) So I saved myself triple fees by not doing an Art Foundation. So how did you not blink? Like, how did you not go, why are you at £55,000 in debt? You're surely like a penny in debt compared to me. (laughs) Because as I told you, I only get a letter once every three years being like, this is your... Yeah, but you'd know if it it said £55,000 on or if it said £10,000 thousand pounds on it so this is interesting now molly's angry with me i basically i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to defend myself i didn't do an art foundation because i just wanted to go to university i went and looked round a college offering art foundation looked at the work talked to a few of the tutors discussed whether it might benefit me they were like yeah we'll definitely benefit you you should come do art foundation went home went straight to uni i just decided Mm. that i didn't need the foundation i'm not sure if it was a good decision or not but it was financially yeah well when we went to uni the so second and third year when we arrived in first year we're like yeah we're paying three thousand pound a year and we were paying nine thousand pound a year i don't know how they decided (laughs) that was an okay (laughs) increase it was triple like nothing triples it was absolutely mad i feel like molly's just gonna be angry at me forever now that she knows that i paid the lower the lower fees really really hard done by because we're the same age we're a month apart you shouldn't have done an art foundation then should you well when we got to uni obviously there was a bit of tension between us and the other years because we were paying triple for the same teaching (laughs) and um and so i know this feeling well 
And to sweeten the deal, we each of the first years got £250 to spend in the art shop there. <laughs> and then everyone else was jealous of us, even though we were paying an extra £6,000 a year. Yeah, but why did you get given £250 on art supplies? I never got that. Because you paid, you paid a third of what I was paying per year. <laughs> and then um, every year we got the £250 in the art shop because we were the first year. And then the year below us didn't get anything, so they were paying more and didn't get anything. Oh, well, that's so I think it was just the transition. I will be brutally honest with you now. Mm. I'm not sure that I would have gone to uni and studied an art degree paying the triple fees. I I know that's easy to say now, but I remember discussing it and thinking that I felt like that was too much. What I was paying was fine, but I wasn't sure I would have wanted to do an art degree at triple the fees. Yeah, I get that. And also, I think the thought went through my head because obviously I stayed behind the foundation and I knew that that was going to mean I was going to be paying more money, like a lot more money. But honestly... I'm going to make you jealous now because the foundation was like the best year of my life. I have honestly never learned so much, but it was because the quality of my foundation was just amazing and it was really formal teaching. We There was like one tutor to, I don't know, eight pupils or maybe less. It was really intense and very formal. There was a lot of life drawing and it was amazing. So one thing that I think about Art Foundation that would have benefited me is that the reason mm. I did graphic communications is... I didn't know what subject I wanted to do because so I really liked textiles I thought about doing that I really liked fine art I thought about doing that and then actually had I done an art foundation I might have done a course in illustration instead if I'd realized Mm. in that year that was where I was going with it so there's pros and cons because I think that might have been good I might have realized my niche earlier but graphic communications because it was such a broad course and we did cover graphics we did cover photography I mean moved into illustration so I got a bit of everything so in a way it was an art foundation within the degree if that makes sense so I feel like it was okay I'm gonna justify it yeah you you sit over there with your tiny amount of debt (laughs) that you're not drowning in (laughs) hey you haven't paid any of it off I've paid some of mine off I know that's just why there's so much it's really upsetting. It's okay. No, the thing is, people were paying nine thousand pounds a year to learn like economics, to learn like a degree that was going to make them money. I learned. I paid nine thousand pound a year to then earn nothing for five years. Yeah, well, that's why I said I wasn't sure I would have. I would have gone. Yeah, and you you might be right. To be fair. <laughs> right, let's move on. I'm so glad we're having a series break because Molly's so angry with me and she's so bloody moany. I just I just can't wait for a break from her. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to block you until we do our next episode. Are you still going to come to my wedding, though, because pancakes? I'll come for the pancakes, but I'm not coming for anything else. Right. What's your favourite memory of learning? Of learning, just in general? Yeah, which favourite memory of learning? Oh, this is easy for me. I just loved, 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 loved textiles at school. I learnt so Mm. much from that. And I just have fond memories of drinking cup of soup and stitching with my little freehand machine. I just loved it. That's why I always thought I might like to do textiles, but didn't. Nice. Um, I should really read the question. I send B over the questions that I've been given and don't read them. I think I like the surprise, but really, <laughs> prepping might be a more sensible thing. Maybe I'll bring that over for season two. I will prep. Um, I think my favourite ever memory of learning is the first time I did wood engraving with the wood engraver Ben Goodman. Shout out to Ben. <laughs> because 
I just fell in love with it and I was so impressed with what I'd made because I didn't think I could draw and suddenly I could with the tool and I just couldn't stop looking at it. You say this a lot but I just don't understand how you can't draw on a piece of paper with a pen, right? Which is arguably so much easier than hand whittling a piece of wood with a little tool. No, but this is the thing. It was like magic. I just had been so low in confidence with my drawing and then the moment I made my first wedding wearing I just couldn't believe I'd done it and I was just amazed and I was so happy and yeah it was special next question what have you gained from an art education that you may not have encountered being self-taught so we we basically just said what we didn't learn what do you think you did learn Oh, that is tricky because basically I, I need to give a bit of background insight, I think, into my experience at art school. The first thing was I don't think I'm a very conceptual artist, as in I don't often think too much about what's behind the artwork and I'm more about the actual image. And the course I was on, the fine art course, was very conceptual. So it was like, what's the meaning behind this and all that? Mm. So I did struggle a lot with that. And the other thing was I had kidney disease at the time and during second and third year I had three major operations so it wasn't like a typical uni experience (laughs) oh no um so that's just a little bit of like when I sound quite negative about my experience at uni it's I don't think it's typical I just think it was a difficult time and Mm. the course might not have been for me yeah so I'm gonna now sit and think about what I learned and just pass it over to you I learn what I wanted to do versus what I didn't want to do. And what I mean by that Mm. is a lot of people came out of my course as real graphic designers. Like, we had loads of modules, not well. It feels like loads to me because I didn't enjoy it. But things like, let's make our own fonts. And we were given this, Mm. this this, like, special paper and we were having to design our own fonts. And I just thought, this is not for me. I don't want to do this. Similarly, I really didn't enjoy making apps. I didn't enjoy that side of things. And then we got to, like, the illustration and the printmaking. and, And I was like, no, I am an artist. So even though I knew that before... It did help me realise that I wanted to move into illustration. So, as I said, it was yeah. kind of my equivalent of an art foundation. Yeah. I think I learned a lot of little things that have built me up to who I am like, yeah. today. Yeah, Um, You don't have to have an answer to this. Like, You don't have to have one answer. I think I should, probably should. I did pay £55,000 to get it. <laughs> oh, you're <laughs> never going to let that go. I think I learned quite a lot of practical skills in terms of part of my course I think it was like 25% of my course I'm not sure was filmmaking we could choose an extra module and I chose film and I learned quite a lot about the software and just about filmmaking in general about animation and I think that plays into how I use social media and now that videos are meant to be better for engagement and Instagram and things like that I feel I don't feel out of my depth with it I feel like I know what I'm doing so it's how it that's helped a lot in some countries art and design is still seen as just a hobby how would you explain the validity of a career in art to a parent who thinks it's just a hobby I was lucky in that I have creative parents who do see art as being able to be a career. It's a cultural thing, isn't it? I feel like in this country we are quite open to all sorts of things as careers. I Yeah, it depends though. It depends who your parents are. I know a lot of people that wouldn't 
um, encourage their children to go to art school because mainly because they're worried there's not a career in it and it's a lot of money to pay to study something that might not pay back. And it's a lot more for some than others. <laughs> God. I think no matter where you're from, there are people that don't value art and I think it's a big majority, hmm. personally. Yeah, that is a bit sad, but it's not unvalidated because... There are a lot of poor artists. They're the lowest paid profession. They've all seen yeah. the Telegraph. Yeah, they That's have. what's happened. Um, my parents really persuaded me to go to university. I remember crying and saying I didn't want to go, <laughs> which wasn't the best start, and I think I kind of felt that the whole way through, to be honest. But they were encouraging me, despite the fact that everyone in my family, my siblings and my parents, are just so academic. They're like psychologists and social workers. I'm the only really creative one. Is there anyone else creative in your family? Uh, I think my great aunt was an artist. Hmm. But that's quite removed. That's interesting, isn't it? I think it was a bit like survival because I'm so dyslexic. I was so bad at school academically. I really, there was nothing. If I couldn't do art, I don't know what I would have done. So I think it was like my only option. I was like, well, I better be good at this. My grandma was an artist. My mum is an artist. My dad's an architect, which is just an art in itself. So I yeah. was always going to be an artist, I think. It was a little bit different for me. Yeah, you were like... Yeah, and your your siblings are creative as well. Yeah, my brother's a musician. I mean, my brother is responsible for our wonderful jingle. Thanks again. Thanks again, Alec. I, we do get a lot of messages from people saying how much they like the jingle. Do you think your parents would have been a bit disappointed if you didn't yeah, turn out arty? I do, actually. Yeah, probably. Really? Well, no, they they obviously would have loved me no matter what, but I think they would have not known where I was coming from if I'd gone, I want to do physics. That's a bit like me and my family. I came out all, <laughs> all different to everyone else. Yeah. And also because um, I did a lot of arty things growing up with my mum. I, I remember like drawing with her in the kitchen and we always made salt dough and we were always out in the garden like looking at nature and drawing it and I think it was as much to do with my upbringing that I was interested in art than anything else as well. Mm, well, we're lucky that you were brought up in that arty environment and that my parents encouraged mm, yeah. what I wanted to do. But I can imagine for a lot of people, they want to do something creative and then feel the pressure to go get a sensible job or go and do a degree that they're not as passionate mm. about and that must be really yeah. hard. Yeah, and you do meet people who say, oh, did you go to university? And they're like, yeah, I went and I studied English literature or something. And then they say, but really I want to do pottery. So there are those people who have suppressed their feelings of creativity and gone, I'm going to go and get a degree that I know I can get a job in. Mm. And also, for lots of people, going to art school is a real luxury and actually they do need to get, feel like they need to get out there and make a living because they need money to survive and therefore I feel like we're really lucky. Yeah, this is an interesting conversation because I don't ever remember... I remember I always wanted... Well, I'm the same as you, my parents really wanted me to go to university. But I don't remember panicking about picking a creative subject in terms of getting a job because I don't think... Obviously, you're quite young when you start university and you're not necessarily thinking about a career afterwards. Maybe you should be, but I wasn't. So I don't know. I think that can mm. that can make a difference. Like I said, it shows our privilege, doesn't it, that we weren't thinking about that. I remember thinking... I, my parents had got me like a little garden shed to do my art in and I couldn't understand why I had to go to university. I wanted to stay in the shed. 
instead. I was like, I can just be an artist here. Why do I have to move out? Why do I have to leave home? And when we went home at the weekend, I said to my parents, I just want to, I'd like to move back in and I just want to live here. Which shed is it in your in your parents' garden that was your art shed? Do you remember the bits of wood on the floor at the top of the garden? No, is that your art shed? <laughs> yeah. So you can't move back home, Molly, because the art shed is no more. All in all, I think that art education was a positive experience for me and if you are pondering over whether to go whether not to go hopefully this will help you decide but I would say go for it really yeah and I honestly really struggled throughout the three years and I'd really recommend an art foundation especially as it's cheaper I don't know if it's still free, but it's definitely cheaper than going to uni. But, yeah, university was hard for me. And to be honest, it really wasn't the course because before I went, I was saying, I don't think this is going to be right for me because I am so anxious and the thought of being away from home and it was just a bit of a nightmare. But I learned so much outside of the course as well as on the course. I think it's a life experience university as well, like moving into halls. Were you in halls in first year? Yeah, I was in halls, so I didn't like it. I actually, I think first year was my favourite year of uni. I liked halls better oh than moving into houses. But only because I had a nice flat and I made a good friend there, who I'm still friends with. And yeah. um, I just think it was a good life experience. You know, you learn how to be away from home, how to cook, how to socialise, how to do your own washing, how to put the pound in the in the washing machine and the yeah. little washing room. God, that first time I did my own washing, I'd never done any clothes washing before because my dad just never <laughs> lets anyone do the washing other than him, so I just <laughs> hadn't done any. And it, I just didn't know what I was doing. I just think in general, even if you're not sure what subject you want to do, I think university is a good experience in growing up and learning some life experience, basically. I know it's an expensive way to do it if you don't think you actually want to go to university, but I do think it's recommended. Do you reckon? I think if you're thinking, like I was, I really am not feeling this, I don't think universities for me don't don't force yourself. There's other other paths you can take. I also recommend, if you can, um, doing... You could do short courses in the... You know, all year round, there's creative courses run by artists and educators. And I think that's a good way to decide what you want to do. And it's, it's like a week rather than three years. For me, personally, and I know you'll relate to this, you have said you relate to this, but mm. because I was such a homebird, you know? I loved living at home. I... I just loved my house and my parents and I was so happy there and I I really didn't want to leave Mm. I remember sitting on the sofa with my dad the day before we were due to drive up to Bath and unpack all my stuff and I just cried I just didn't want to go and I think for me if I hadn't gone to university I would have found it hard to ever find a reason to move out of home and grow up and learn who I was as a person and, and then expand my horizons and so that's just one of the things I think university really helped me with. Yeah, you're right. When you're forced to move out, you do learn a lot. I honestly think mm. I learned more about myself and about the world than I did actually about art. But either yeah, way, definitely. it was equally helpful. But I think that's worth that's worth the triple fees. Do you? Do you? Because you haven't paid them. <laughs> so I don't think you can say that. Well, it was worth my fees. <laughs> you paid, um, you got three years for the price of one, basically. <laughs> well, that's so depressing for you when you pay it like that. 
I've really enjoyed this podcast. I think we got we had a good uh, chat there. Learned some yeah. things about each other that we didn't know. I worry we've just confused people because of my experience was maybe a bit different from your experience. But I'd say go go with your gut. That's what I'd say. Mm. And and yeah. really shop around the unis. Um, you're paying a lot of money to be there, so just make sure you're going to the right one for you and talk to people on the courses. Molly came round to my house the other day. No, actually, before that, Molly voice noted me. She said, B, I had this <laughs> wonderful revelation. And um, when we moved to Devon and I get my goats, Sam said I can also get chickens. And she was so excited. And I sat there and I listened to this voice note of Molly telling me her plans for the chickens, the various different housing, you know, how they were going to live in harmony with the goats. That was all great. I voice noted her back like, this is amazing. I'll give you all the chicken tips, obviously, as a current chicken keeper. Molly then came round to my house and she said, oh, let's go and see the chickens. So up we went, up to the chickens. And one of my chickens is called Molly because when I got three new chickens Molly said please please name one after me so I did (laughs) I'm that persuasive (laughs) so I went into the chicken enclosure I picked up Molly and I said Molly you should have a picture with Molly and I handed this chicken to Molly and I've never seen her freak out more in my life (laughs) and um yeah I've got a photo and I'll share the photo on Instagram for anyone who wants to see because it's probably the best photo I've ever taken. Well the thing is when I first met you I did say I don't like chickens they've got weird feet I'm not a fan and my mum says it's because there used to be a cockerel called Bert who lived on the road right outside our house and he used to peck people's toes and apparently Bert scared me so I'm blaming Bert but they just really really freaked me out and I knew that when I met you but I had been brave and I'd fed them mint and I like the thought of some nice fresh eggs and nice free range (laughs) eggs too so that's why I want chickens and another thing the move to Devon is not imminent sadly the goats and the chickens are having to wait quite a few years I'm sorry Molly but since this experience I can't sign you off as a as a suitable chicken keeper because you if you own chickens you will have to pick them up on occasion well, I don't want to pick them up. I have had. But you will before. have to pick them I up. I went on holiday and I was given at this, uh, it was like a resort, and someone gave me this massive yellow snake to hold. And I would rather hold 10 million snakes <laughs> than hold a chicken again because it just felt all wrong. It felt, because I, I used to eat meat, it felt like a chicken that I'd eat, but it had feathers on it, which I guess is exactly what it was, to be fair. <laughs> But it just felt weird, and under its belly, it felt a bit, like, spiky or crispy. I'm not really sure. And it was, like, all warm, and I didn't like it. And I said, B, I don't like this, I don't like this, can you take it off me? And you went, hang on, I need to get a photo. And after you got enough photos of me with my eyes closed, pretending this wasn't happening, you went, hang on, let me get in, and you took a million selfies, and I needed your help. Oh, my God. I mean, it was the most ridiculous overreaction I've ever seen to anyone. It wasn't an overreaction because, I'm sorry, in Devon, you screamed (laughs) twice and both times the world's smallest spider was on you. I've never seen anyone overreact more. So basically, a a chicken to me is a spider to you. I'm not going to agree with that. I think your reaction was much more severe, but fine, we'll agree to disagree. I just think a chicken can hurt me more than a spider. I'm going to share this photo and I'm going to put a little question box up on it and it's going to say, (laughs) should Molly own chickens in the future? (laughs) Absolutely no or absolutely no is the option. (laughs) 
How about if you live down the road and every time I need to pick a chicken up, I can't see why I'd ever need to, but every time I need to pick a chicken up, I'll be like, can you come pick up the chicken? Hey, if I live just down the road, you don't need your own chickens. You can just come and get fresh eggs from mine. That's true, actually. Okay, next plan. You need to move really near <laughs> That's me. That's much less high maintenance than <laughs> texting me and saying, can you go and pick my chicken up? <laughs> you need to move near me and I want fresh eggs on my doorstep every morning, please. So before we're back after our break, you are getting married... You're going to be married by the next time we make a podcast. I am. What's my wedding countdown now, by the way? Because I did it to you from about three months and you haven't given me a countdown anytime soon. Yeah, you did do it to me. Every week you'd go, it's now five weeks, it's now a month, it's now three (laughs) weeks. And it was the most stressful thing ever, I thought. I'm going to be a good friend and not retaliate. Hey, but I'm asking you for my countdown. What is it? Your countdown is currently... Um... Is it three weeks and and five days? Or is it four I'm weeks sorry. and five days? I th- that is terrifying. There we go. That's why I haven't been doing it. <laughs> that is so soon. It was horrible because oh when God. you were doing it to me, you were like, it's three weeks. And I hadn't sorted the... I hadn't even written out the order of service. So... <laughs> Your honeymoon is slightly up in the air at the moment, isn't it? My honeymoon's a mess. Me and Adam have decided that we'll just decide where to go the day after the wedding. We'll just we'll just look at the green list and go, yeah, we'll go there. God, that's that's so adventurous. That is just because. Can anyone guess where <laughs> Bee's gonna was planning to go for our honeymoon? Anyone guess? <laughs> mm, France. You're so predictable, aren't you? <laughs> Maybe this is the world saying there's other places that aren't France. There's other things that aren't French. Spread your wings. Yeah, do you know, me and Adam did discuss it because France is just really hard to get into at the moment. They've really upped their restrictions on vaccines and testing and, yeah, it just seems like it might be impossible. Anyway, when we found out the news, we did have a little discussion and we did say, maybe it'd be good for us to go somewhere else because we do always go to France. And, yeah, um, I agree. Yeah. We got quite excited about the idea of Croatia, but we're just not holding on to that either because in three weeks, a lot of countries could get taken off the green list. So Yeah, so basically it will be a complete surprise uh, to our listeners when you get back and tell them where you've been. Here's the shortlist so far. Croatia, Iceland... The Falklands, Bulgaria. Those those are the four. Or or like a staycation, like um, Lake District. Yeah. You know. Scotland. You know what I'd choose there, hey? Lake District, I know. Or Scotland. I don't have anything against the Lake District or Scotland. You're more of an adventurer than me. I did want to go... So- yeah, I did want to have a summer holiday and I, I do feel like Scotland and the Lake District, they don't necessarily provide me with... Uh, lots of hot weather i realize that iceland doesn't either and iceland is somewhere i'd like to go but it is low down on the list for a summer holiday (laughs) yeah well i hope whatever happens you have a wonderful time and you'll come back all relaxed and not having to wedding plan again thank you i can't wait one of my uh friends got engaged recently and and i was happy for her but i obviously but i also just thought my God, imagine having to start the wedding planning from scratch and it made me feel a little bit ill. Yeah, everyone said to me, oh, do you want to do it all over again as in the wedding? And I'm like, well, not if I have to plan it. 
I feel we started this podcast hot and bothered and now I'm just hot because I you've really cheered me up. Yeah, me too. I really enjoyed this and I now feel really sad that it's the last episode of the series. I know, I am sad too, but I do think we need to regroup and come back uh, bigger and better. And um, mm. basically, thank you for being the best podcast co-host around. Aw, same to you. It's been a wonderful adventure. And um, yeah, we're so pleased with all the lovely comments and feedback that we've received so far. And don't yeah. worry, Out of Ink will return in the autumn. Yeah, and don't forget, if you haven't already, to subscribe because when it's September or October and you've forgotten all about us, you'll get a little ping <laughs> that says, we're back, and you'll need that because you'll, mm. you will miss us. We will, of course, keep you updated on Instagram also with any developments. Yeah, we will. Are we going to bring back the anxiety scale for Series 2? I think it's the best bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was B that came up with the anxiety scale, and it is genius. It was the right answer when you said yes, we were bringing it back because I I do love a good anxiety scale, and we have so many ideas for it, don't we? Yeah. Well, we have so many food ideas, but but yeah, we'll be back. We're we've got. Well, I won't say what plans we've got, but we've got plans. We have plans. That's the main thing. We're not leaving you forever, and I feel sad because I know I've had a lot of messages saying that people rely on this podcast and it cheers them up and it helps them with their mental health and we're sorry to be leaving you for a little while but we promise it'll be worth the wait. We are but we are leaving you with eight golden episodes that you can just listen to on repeat for the next few months. Yeah it's basically like a good six hours I reckon of us just um, chatting away helping you get to sleep or whatever you do when you're listening. Here's an interesting fact for you. Um, You know, before we started recording podcasts, I didn't really listen to podcasts. Yeah. I still don't. I know, you should really support the industry more. I listen to maybe like five, six a day. Yeah, so you'd think that as someone who now can call herself a podcaster, that I might Mm. like to listen to the competition. So maybe... On the break, I will endeavour to listen to a whole load of podcasts. Well, I just, I love the world of podcasting and um, I feel just really honoured to, to be part of it. So, I mean, no one knows we're here, none of the, none, no one else, none of the podcasters have any idea we're around. But um, we were on the charts for a little while and that was a wonderful, wonderful week. <laughs> Well, no, we can't end this on a low. <laughs> okay, sorry. Thank you so much for all the support. And um, if you listen to all eight episodes and you were like, well, that was good, please pop on over and give us a rating um, if you do nothing else because we will just be so grateful. And um, just remember the five-star rule, okay? Also, you've got to come back, Series 2, because you've got to hear... A, where I went on honeymoon, and B, how my wedding pancakes were, and how many Molly ate. Actually, let's take a little, let's take a little bet here. <laughs> mm, I think Molly that you're going to eat at my wedding mm. eight and a half pancakes. That is such a good cliffhanger to end on. They'll definitely be back now, and we will be back in your ears before you know it.